Well, who's ready for the Word of God here this morning? Ah, love the house. Well, I had a very small milestone this week. It was my birthday, and I celebrated 40 last year, which was like up here, and then I went to 41 down here, which was just felt like a nothing event. However, thank goodness my family didn't forget me, and I, uh, I got a card from my daughter, Sienna. Sienna is 11, and uh, who loves those kind of handwritten cards by your, your kids? If you've got kids, they're always very special. And she makes a comment in this. She says, uh, I hope you'll have a great birthday, Dad. And then it says this, thank you for keeping the gardens nice and tidy. And then she says this, and trying your best to make sure my teeth don't fall out, even though you can be annoying an annoying sugar police. Thank you, Sienna. But it is true, I'm a bit of a sugar police in our household, just trying to manage the amount of uh, sugar consumption into the mouths of my children. Uh, and I do that, why? Because I'm a loving father and because I actually want to set them up in life and it's just one of those little areas. I'm like, hey, it's probably a good thing to control. But do you know what? Our God in heaven, he's setting things up for us to walk into a great life, a life of blessing a life of good things. That's what he wants. He is a loving and wonderful and good father. And he wants to lead us forward. And here this morning, I'm going to share one of the keys. There's a few keys, I believe, in life to uh, enter into what God would want for all of us. But I'm going to share a key here this morning. It's a scripture I was reading a few months ago, and it really stood out to me. And it comes from James. James 1. I'm going to read from verses 22 to 25, if you've got your Bibles here this morning. And it says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I don't know about you, but it's not a nice feeling when someone deceives you. And I'm sure all of us here this morning at some points in life would have been deceived by other people. I can remember about 12 or 13 years ago going to buy a uh, home on the northern beaches and as my wife and I went to look at this home, it was just everything that wasn't us. It was like right on a six-lane busy road uh, on a corner block. It was like this old, old, old unit. It had no grass, it, this little concrete slab out the side. It, it just totally wasn't us. But as we went and saw this unit, I just remember very clearly the real estate agent having a bit of a chat to us. He's like, it's only a matter of time. I'm like, what's only a matter of time? He goes, just look down the street. All the developers, they're buying out every single old block and they're putting out these new units. It's only, this, this will come good for you. It's only a matter of time. And I remember getting this, these words coming to me from the real estate agent. Well, that was 12, maybe 13 years ago. I drove past there two weeks ago. Well, the only matter of time still hasn't happened. It's still a pretty crappy looking old unit. It hasn't been brought for big monies by a developer. It's still there. I felt like when it was happening, it just, 
just didn't feel right to me. I'm like, are you about my interest? It felt like you were kind of trying to maybe deceive me. It wasn't cool. I can remember as a 12-year-old boy, I had a dream. I had a dream to buy my own boat. So at the age of 12, I saved up some money and I went and brought a boat. I went and brought a boat from one person, a trailer from another person, and a motor from someone else. Because I wanted to get out on the waterways near my house, and like all good men, I wanted to go fishing. Isn't that right, Mick? I wanted to go fishing. I was 12. I wanted the freedom. It's a pretty smart idea, because at 12, you can't drive a car, but at 12, you can drive a boat. So I remember saving all this money to go and buy these three elements, and I remember buying this 12-foot tin uh, dinghy off the owner, and of course the owner who had it before wanted to, uh, to sell it to me, so he started telling me about this great seaworthy uh, vessel that I was about to invest my money into to buy. He said, oh, it's a great boat, and, and I went, oh, it looks good. I knew nothing about boats, nothing. So I remember buying this 12-foot tinny. And after a number of, I think, probably months of getting all the bits together and registering the trailer, it was ready for its maiden, maiden voyage. And I was excited. It was like launch time. I remember calling my friend Heath and said, let's go, uh, let's go out on pit water, which is a, a, a bit of water near my house that I was living at the time in the northern beaches. And my mum drove us down and we launched the boat. Very quickly, I had two big issues on that day. The first issue was, for the life of us, we could not get the engine to work. It was a little six-horsepower engine, and we're, we're pumping this and pulling and pumping and pumping and pulling and pulling, and we could not get that motor to start for our lives. We must have pulled that cord like hundreds and hundreds of times. I discovered later what I think had happened. I think I'd flooded it. But I could not get this engine to work. But I think I had a bigger problem this day, and that was, as I looked down into the bottom of that boat... It was quite drastically filling up with water. The vessel was not seaworthy and water was pouring in, like coming in very quickly. So as my friend and I, we ended up having to row to the first initial fishing spots. One of us would fish, one of us would bail. The other one would bail, the other one would fish. It was like this constant bailing of water out of the boat. Guess what? I felt very deceived. Deceived by the gentleman who had sold me the boat that definitely wasn't seaworthy. And that's a really sad thing. But do you know what is even sadder, I think, is when we deceive ourselves. It's one thing to be deceived by others because we can't always control that. But it's a really sad thing if we're deceiving ourselves. And here James is writing this letter and he's saying, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. And that's one of the keys, I believe, to progressing in this life is not just reading and hearing, but actually doing. Actually doing what the Word of God says. Because if we can do that, we will be led to a wonderful place in this life. And it is a really sad day when we stop growing. If we're not moving forward in our maturity, that is not a good day. We all should have the desire to be going forward. And this is definitely one way we go forward. We should be getting better at life, better at winning battles, better at gaining victories over things that maybe once enslaved us. We should be becoming wiser. 
Our character should be becoming stronger. Integrity in our life is growing. We should be becoming more Christ-like. There's all these things that Christ wants to lead us unto. Proverbs 15.24 says, The way of life winds upward for the wise. Proverbs 4.8, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter until the perfect day. We need to be led forward. And the thing about the Word of God, there's not one area that doesn't get in and wants to infiltrate us. For the good, though. It's for the good. It's like me as the father with the sugar policing. It's, it's for the good. My kids don't always like it in the middle of it when they've just had 28 lollies. And I said, that's enough. There's no more going into your mouth. They want more. But it's for their good. It's to help move them forward in life and upward in life. And it's the Word of God wants to do the same thing. And there's no area the Word of God can't get in and uh, infiltrate in our world. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How good is the Word of God? This is the, why don't we give the Lord a round of applause for the Word of God. It wants to do a great work. It wants to bring us to a place of wholeness. It wants to lead us into a place of strength. And if we're doers of the Word, that's where we'll end up. We'll end up in places like that. Because so often in our own human abilities, we're, we don't lead ourselves very well, do we? We need something else that's guiding us. Because in our own human nature, we don't always go into the good directions that we should go to. And I love that this passage we read in James, it says that we end up being blessed. If I was to ask here, who wants to be blessed? I'm sure every single hand would want to go in the air and say, yeah, I want to be blessed. I want to live a life like that. I don't want to be enslaved and bound. I want to be free. I want to be, I want, I want good things happening in my life and flowing out of my life and my family's life. And, and that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to be free. John, I mean, Jesus says this in John 8. He says, so Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the Word of God is truth, isn't it? And when we hold to the truth, where does it lead us? It leads us to a place of freedom, and that's a good place to live life from. That's a good place to be living life in. It's that place where the Bible leads us, and I believe we need to first have the revelation that this is the Word of God, and this is truth, that's, that's, that's the place we start. But then out of that, we need to do some acting on it. We need to be doers of it. And if we know both of those things and we do it well, we lead to this great place in life. We lead to this great place in life. Let the Word of God get in the inside of you, but let it change you by being obedient to what it asks us to do. Be obedient, because the Word will then do its work. And let it do its work. Base your life around it. But we've got to let it. We've got to make sure we're the ones saying, yeah, okay, that's God's way. 
It's going to become my way. God instructs that. I'm going to follow that direction. It's, it's like doing what the Word says that will lead us. In Isaiah 64, 8, it says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are potter. And all we are the work of your hands. You see, God wants to get his hands upon our life. And he wants to mold us into this absolutely stunning, stunning person. Like your greatest self will always be in his hands. Always, always. That's where he wants to guide us. That's where he wants to lead us. But you see, when a, when a potter, he's got his hands on that clay and he's molding it, if that piece of clay kind of says, oh, I kind of can't have all of me or I've got some really like some bits that are like hard and yeah, and I'm not never going to change. You see, the potter can't really get his hands on that clay and really mold it into what he wants it to be. We've got to make sure we're like, God, you have me. You have all of me. It's not about saying, oh, you've got most of me, but yeah, Friday nights when I let my hair down, you haven't got me then. It's not about, oh, you've got me on Sunday and when I'm at home with my family, but Monday to Friday when I'm, when I, when I'm in the business world, I'm, I'm doing it my way. Like, it's not about uh, putting things into different compartments and saying, God, you've got that piece, that piece, that piece, but not this piece. God wants all of us. He wants all of us. He wants to get his hands on all of our lives so he can then take us to where he wants us to take us. And I tell you, let him do it because what he will end up with will be so grand and so wonderful. And the thing is, even in this Christian life, I think sometimes when a young Christian comes to faith and realizes, oh, I've got to change all these things, sometimes they can be really great and just going, God, yeah, keep changing me, keep changing me, keep changing me. Yeah, I've got to get that right. And they're really aware of all the things that they're not doing that great in life. And then I think sometimes for some of us, we've been in church for a while and we've been in Christ for a while and we, we start to get set back in our ways of, oh, this is just how I'm doing life. And we can end up with blind spots, can't we? There was a story that's pretty close to my heart that uh, a situation that happened to someone I know quite well recently and, you know, this, uh, this gentleman had been married to this lady for like 20 years and uh, recently they had to do a car swap and when the wife was driving his car, uh, she blew up the head gasket. And I was hearing some of the dialogue about this situation about, you know, the kind of, kind of anger and disappointment out of the husband about this car's engine being blown up. And it was kind of like, didn't you realize when the temperature gauge is increasing, you should pull over? And was it, sh didn't you realize when it wasn't driving right, you sh should have stopped the vehicle? And but I was, I was listening to the tone around this and it's someone I know really well and I was like, I was actually quite saddened because I was thought, you're 20 years into this marriage and this, shing, uh, this marriage should be actually getting better. But I was thinking, would you have spoken to her maybe when she was your fiancé, like you're a year or two into the relationship in the same way as you, you are right now, 20 years in? And I was thinking, no, I don't think so. No. It had become a blind spot. And if we're not careful, we can have blind spots in our world that we're just doing it that way because it's just how we do it. But I reckon when we're listening to the Word and we're reading the Word, we've got to always be like, Holy Spirit, illuminate. Show me. 
show me, show me what I need to change, show me what I need to work on. Uh, once you see those things, help me to work on that, help me to make the change, help me uh, to do what you've called me to do in this life. Because that's really, really important that we keep being transformed in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing. This is uh, Paul in his prayer of thanksgiving to the Philippians, being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, there's been a work on all of our lives for those of us that have uh, given our lives in salvation, but then it doesn't stop there. There's got to be a progression. There's got to be a way that we're moving forward, that we don't kind of just get stuck and remain unchanged. We've got to be continually being changed. Let's not become comfortable Christians. Comfortable Christians don't change the world. We want to change this world. Let's make sure that God has His hand on us, but we're allowing that, that we are allowing that. And we always need work, don't we? My wife and I, we brought our house seven years ago in a suburb quite close to church here. And when I first brought it, it was in need of a lot of attention. So I can remember quite quickly uh, setting to uh, getting that house kind of renovated to a level that it felt like us and not the 80-year-old who had been living there previously. I remember quite quickly in the first few weeks doing a lot of internal uh, painting and lights and ripping up carpets and so forth. And then uh, a few months in, I didn't like coming home to a bright green and red house, so I decided to change the colour scheme on the, the external of the house. And, and I did all of this, but there's one thing I've learnt is in seven years of owning a house, my house has always needed work. I've never completed the list. The list is always ongoing. A little bit of chip paint there, a little bit of a repair there, a little bit of a, a dig in the wall there from the kids, a little bit of... Cleo's handwriting on the wall. There's just, there's just always this list. I never, ever sit back and go, I'm done. I never get there. It's always like, there's more to be done. <laughs> and for those who own a house, I'm sure you're all just nodding in agreement. And I just think that we should have that mindset for our own lives. There's always going to be work. We're never going to be in that complete, perfect place. What is the work? What is the work that we need to do? What is the work that we need to do? Let's do it. Let's actually get there. Because God's only leading us to a good thing. I'm, I'm sure uh, many of us, you know, as parents, tell our kids not to do things sometimes. Then all of a sudden, the big accident happens because they didn't listen. And inside, you don't say it because you're a loving parent, but you like, feel like it, saying, well, I told you so. But you set some things in place to protect them to show care for them. And the Lord's always doing the same thing for us. He's putting things around to help us, to protect us, to lead us forward. But let's be doers. And here this morning, this word's as much as me as anyone. I've been following the Lord for a lot of years, but I've got blind spots. I've got situations I don't respond to how I should. I've got areas that I need to work on. It's We've, we all need to, but we've got to be think honest with ourselves sometimes going, I need some work. But let's be up for the work. Let's be up for the ongoing renovation of our own lives so that God can truly have us where he wants us to be. Where he wants us to be. But let's be doers. A few years ago now, 
you know, I've, uh, I've been going to the dentist probably since I was, I don't know, I was, since I was a kid. And I reckon since I was about 10 or 12 at the dentist, my dentist has always been saying, Hartley, you need to floss. Has anyone heard the dentist say that? You've got to be a flosser. You've got to be a flosser. Well, for many, many years, I would hear those words and I'd start flossing and I'd last about three days. And then the day before I had to go back to the dentist, six or 12 months later, guess what? I'd floss again, just hoping that the dentist wouldn't know, but who knows that they know. And they start like flossing and there's like, it's not looking good in your mouth because they know you haven't been flossing. Anyway, a few years ago, I, I remember hearing Leon talk about how his father, who's a dentist, was about to retire and, and his father had said to Leon, hey son, if I get this right, um, you're not going to have free dentist work forever. You've got to make sure that you floss. And as soon as I heard a dentist saying that to his own son, I finally realized I was never being deceived by the dentist. What they were telling me was truth and that flossing actually matters. So I've got really good news for you here this morning, church. Two years on, I can now say I'm officially a flosser. I'm a doer. I'm a doer of the words of the dentist. I now floss. But hearing and knowing that I should be flossing but not doing it, I gain nothing in that process. All the gaining for my mouth and my teeth is in the doing. And it's like that with the Word of God. You can hear a lot, but if we're not doing, it's not doing as much good. So if Hartley can get himself to being a flosser, I'm sure all of us here this morning, let's go on a journey to be a doer of the Word of God. Because it's the place of great freedom. I can remember a number of years ago getting the worst phone call in the history of my pastoring career. It was a brutal phone call. It hurt so deeply. And I was in a place of, what do I do with the situation, Lord? It was like, it was, it was really painful. I got accused of just so many things that were so completely, so far from the truth. And it was just like a, oh, it was, it was hard. It was awful. And it, it weighed me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And kind of knocked me down. And, and as I was trying to go on the journey of how I would deal with this, do you know what the key was? The key was in a scripture I read in the Word of God, a scripture that I knew I couldn't just, just see it and hear it. I had to act on it. And the freedom out of that circumstance and situation came from me being obedient to the Word of God. And it led me to, to praying to praying for this person, to pray for their family, to, to pray a blessing upon them. And it, it actually led me into freedom. But that's the power of the Word of God. When we do it, it leads us to a great place. It leads us to freedom. One of the definitions here of James saying, you know, don't deceive yourself is this. One of the definitions of this word deceive is to deceive by false reasoning. I want to just remind us here today, God's way is God's way. Let's not try and alter with what the Word of God says. Let's not try and change it up. Let's, it's the Word of God. It's living and active, and it is how it is. And we need to, to let it take us on the journey in our life. 
few years ago, I was going up to Coolangatta on the border of New South Wales and Queensland. We have an annual C3 Australia conference there. It's been there for many years now. And uh, I don't know if anyone else does this, but when I'm about to go somewhere, I like to kind of know what's happening with the weather. So I got on my, uh, my phone and in the weather app, I added Coolangatta and added it as one of the, you know, screens, the little widget screens, I can see what the weather was. And it always occurs like the first week out of winter here, you know, it's in September. And I kind of get excited because I'm heading north and it gets a bit warmer. You know, by the end of winter, sometimes you're like, oh, I want some, some warmer days. And one of these years I remembered uh, that I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, Nat, the weather's looking, actually looking really cold. It's not looking good at the conference and we were taking all the kids and I'm like we better, we better pack some jackets like I think like it's only going to get like 17 or 18 degrees in the day and overnight lows are not looking good and I'm like what's the story it must just be a whole week of like hard southerlies just battering that part of the east coast of Australia so we packed like this and I remember chucking in lots of jackets and all of that and got on the Jetstar aeroplane and you know you often hear from the pilot as you take off and then when you're about to land. And as we're about to land, he often gives you a bit of a report on the weather. I remember him saying, you know, we'll touch down about this time. And then he's like, yeah, and we're going to be arriving to a nice little uh, 23 degrees. And I'm like, 23 degrees? What? I'm like, it's not what my app said. As soon as we kind of landed, I flipped, you know, off the airplane mode because I listened to the instructions of the airlines always and put it on airplane mode. And I looked at it and I'm like, no, my app says that it's like 17 degrees or something. And I'm like, what's the story here? I don't know if you know this, but Australia has two Coolangattas. And one of them's south of Sydney. And that's the Coolangatta that I was basing all part of my life around for this week. And if we're not careful, and we're using the wrong information to guide us in life and mould us, won't end up doing life the way God wants us to do. We'll end up basing decisions not in the way God wants us to do it. We'll end up a long way, actually, from where He wants us to be. I think we've just got to make sure we're doing life out of the guidance of this. And study it and get into it. Look at the meanings of Scriptures, but to base it on that, because ultimately, it'll lead us to where God wants us to lead us. And it's not always easy. The Scripture's in here, and they will challenge us. There's lots in there. The Word of God says, in your anger, do not sin. I'm sure there's a number of us that sin sometimes in our anger tells us to guard our mouth, preserves our life. I'm sure for all of us, things pop out of our mouth that shouldn't at times. It says the upright turns aside from evil. Some of us might be challenged by bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. For other ones, do not lust in your heart. These are scriptures. Forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. And as the band comes, just got to make sure we just are up for it, up for the change, 
up to being doers. When I was a young man, I played a lot of golf. I'll finish on this story. I played a lot of golf and when I was about 12 years old, I went to one of the good golf courses in Sydney because the Australian Open Golf Tournament was on with all, you know, with all the greats of the time coming to this big golf tournament. And when I went there, they had this tent set up where you could go in and sit in this little audience and they were doing golf lessons by a professional golf instructor. And as you sat there in this little stand, it was only little, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 people, they would they would pick a, a few people out and say, come and have a lesson and they would record it. And they would, as they were talking about it, they would kind of talk to the crowd about what they were doing. And as a little skinny 12-year-old, I was one of those that was selected. And as I came down and the professional golf instructor laid some balls in front of me to do my swing, I started to hit a few balls, my silky smooth swing. And as I hit a few balls, he you know, started talking about some of the areas that I could improve in. And one of those areas was with my grip. Since a young boy, I was using what's called the interlocking golf grip. It's not a bad grip. There's worse ones. If you play golf like a baseball bat, you're in more trouble than those with the interlocking golf grip. But on this day, this professional instructor said, hey, if you really want to go somewhere with the game of golf and do really well and probably peak with your potential, I would highly recommend that you change your grip from the interlocking golf grip to the overlapping golf grip. It's only a minor change with a couple of pinkies. But he said, I really recommend you make the change. So I remember hitting a few balls in front of him with this new grip. I actually felt like I was going to lose the golf club and throw it. It felt that bad and that awkward. I remember going back to my home course and for the next few weeks, I went on a journey that was so uncomfortable of adjusting my golf grip because I knew the master instructor was telling me to change it. It felt awful. It took weeks and weeks of hitting hundreds of golf balls to go from feeling awful to okay to one day, maybe a month or two later, felt great. But I had to make the change. If you're here today and you know the Lord's calling you to make a change in some part of your life, you're hearing the Word of God, you're reading it, can I encourage you to make the change? It'll only lead you upwards. It'll only lead you forward in life because He's a loving Father and He wants to move us all forward and upwards in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. That's the truth. So how about it? We become doers, not just hearers of the Word, because it's in that place where the Master, the Master can get His hands on our lives and take you to where He would like to take you. Amen. Amen. He's a good Father. He's a good Father. Word of God, being doers, it'll help change you into better fathers, better mothers, better partners, better work people, better friends, better everything, because he's a good father.